Hello and welcome back to the Lifting Club podcast. I'm Jazz and I'll be bringing you fitness education with practical application. I think I am a bit blocked up today, perhaps. So if I sound a bit off, that that's why. Um, it might be because I had a late night. My sister and I took my mum out to see a comedian last night for her birthday. So we had a lovely evening, but definitely back home past my bedtime. I'm usually in bed with my Kindle at like 9pm. And I think I was probably in bed at like 12 midnight um last night which is very late for a wednesday um but i'm fine <laughs> maybe one one night with six and a half hours sleep um that makes me think i'm gonna be ill from it but i'm fine but that's just why it might sound a bit nasal if anything today but moving on today we're going to be covering a nutrition topic which hopefully will be beneficial and particularly beneficial for you if you're in a fat loss phase or plan on going into one at some point, or if you coach people in fat loss phases as well. And the topic is managing hunger when losing fat. So hunger is a sensation that we've all experienced. It can be described as a feeling of discomfort as a result of a lack of food or energy intake. You know, that being said, we know that hunger is multifactorial and as well as it being just this uncomfortable feeling in your stomach due to the lack of food, it can also be impacted by quite a lot of other factors, like we've got biological factors, social and psychological factors too. And the opposite of hunger is satiety, which is the state of feeling full or, you know, completely satisfied. So if we start on the biological side of things... There are a number of different hormones that can impact feelings of hunger or satiety. And also our genetic makeup can impact the size of the signals that these hormones send to the brain. And we've got biological factors such as, you know, the physical feeling of fullness. So the stomach feeling kind of full and distended. That can also impact whether we feel hungry or satiated, regardless of the actual energy density, the actual caloric density of the contents that's feeling the stomach. So we've got the biological things like hormones to signal fullness and hunger. And we've also got biological signals, mostly how full does my stomach feel? But outside of those factors, we've also got other aspects that might impact whether you feel hungry or whether you feel satiated. And that can include historical eating patterns. So what your eating patterns and and habits have been like in the past and those kind of behaviours. It can be impacted by your mood and emotions, by your circadian rhythm and the time of day, but also social settings. So, you know, who you're with, where you are learned behaviours and general day-to-day habits as well. So you can see that due to the above, not every hunger signal or cue is one that actually means energy is low in the body. However, if we are trying to lose weight, we know that you must be in a calorie deficit, in an energy deficit, which means naturally the body is going to produce signals of hunger because that's a survival mechanism. It's trying to protect itself because if you are in a deficit, the body's going to be saying, feed me more. So you're going to have those feelings from time to time. So when you're losing fat, you're going to feel bits of desire to eat. Whether that be mental or physical, it's going to happen at times. But there are a number of ways that we can reduce the kind of regularity and intensity of those hunger cues and just make the whole fat loss process far more manageable in general. So I'm going to cover four main points today that are bits of advice, 
tips, things to consider that I work with quite a lot with my um, one-to-one clients as well to make a fat loss phase a lot more manageable, sustainable and therefore effective in the long run. Number one is food volume. As I mentioned previously, how physically full your stomach is or how distended the stomach is can impact whether our brain thinks we're hungry or whether we're satiated. And we can describe foods as being high caloric density or low caloric density. Foods that are high in energy are calorie dense. They're low volume, meaning they don't take up much space in the stomach, but they have a high amount of calories. Now, foods that are low in energy are described as being low caloric density, having low caloric density, and they are high volume. So they take up more space in the stomach for the same amount of calories. Now, high volume foods can be really beneficial for feeling full or satiated. So for those in a fat loss phase, it's a good thing to consider eating relatively high volume foods. So I'll provide some examples of some foods that are high volume versus some foods that are low volume. You can eat high volume foods in a fat loss phase. You can eat high volume foods in a muscle building phase and the same either way. You can eat anything anytime you want. But the whole point of this episode is to give some advice on things that might make fat loss feel a bit easier and having high volume foods can make it feel easier. So these examples aren't saying don't eat this if you're in a fat loss phase, you can only eat this, but it's just some considerations, perhaps some swaps you could make to make the whole process feel a bit easier. So for example, if we look at fruits first, we've got things like berries, watermelons, oranges and apples that are high volume. And in terms of veg, we've got things like your leafy veg, broccoli, green beans, mushrooms, tomatoes, courgette, bell peppers, um, cauliflower, etc. They're all examples of high volume foods with low caloric density. Whilst still fabulous for your health, fruit and veg that are higher in calories, so more calorically dense, might include things like dates, more starchy veg and kind of dried fruits. So if you're consuming those, potentially that they're, they're going to be lower volume, taking up less room in the stomach and therefore you might experience more hunger kind of a bit, you know, shortly after consuming them. So bulking up your meals with some of those higher volume vegetables, like adding big side salads or having a nice big vegetable stir fry or veggie scrambles, they're all really great ways of getting your micronutrients in to start with, but also being really filling. If we look at carbohydrates, something like rice has much higher caloric density than something like boiled potatoes. You know, for the same calories, you can get a much larger portion of boiled potatoes versus rice. And another benefit of eating higher volume foods is just the greater time taken to eat the meal. Now, research suggests that the greater amount of time we spend chewing, the lower the reports of hunger. So you could imagine that it's more satisfying to eat a larger meal that takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes to consume rather than something much smaller that just takes a few minutes to eat, even if they have the same number of calories. And a final thing to be aware of is calorie dense foods in your diet that you may not be thinking about or accounting for. This can include things like your cooking oils, dressings, spreads like butter and jam. Now, of course, you can definitely consume those things and still be in a calorie deficit and lose fat, but they're probably just not particularly filling. And the same applies for things like smoothies and juices, maybe totally fine and often full of lots of goodness but might not be the most satiating way to consume your food when you've got less calories to play with. Tip number two 
And this is quite related to tip number one as well. And that is thinking about the satiety index of food. Satiety index is a measure of how full someone feels from eating a certain calorie value of a food. In general, foods high in protein, fibre and water content are going to be the most satiating. So we know that protein is our most satiating macronutrient. So a high protein diet can help keep you feeling full. And foods that are high in fibre and water can help do the same too. So protein seems to be our most satiating macronutrient. That fact, along with its benefits for retaining muscle when we're dieting, means it's definitely something we should be prioritising, especially in a fat loss phase. Foods with a high satiety index may help you manage hunger during a fat loss phase. Some examples might include things like eggs, fish, chicken, oats, wholemeal pasta, potatoes, popcorn and oranges versus those with a lower satiety index are going to include things like cake, crisps, muesli, white pasta and bread. So that's just these foods have been tested um, to see the measure of someone's fullness after consuming the same calorie value and they're the kind of results we get. So thinking about foods that are the most satiating not just volume wise but also shown to be the most satiating as I said protein seems to be very satiating fiber is satiating too that can be something that's useful for kind of managing hunger levels okay point three and point three is called meal timing and eating patterns now there's a few myths surrounding meal timings and dieting so how they interact do they do they impact each other for example that intermittent fasting is automatically beneficial for fat loss or that maybe you shouldn't eat carbs after 8pm when in reality no matter what time of the day you eat your food if your total intake puts you in a calorie deficit you're going to be able to lose fat. That being said I do work with my clients to find meal timings and eating patterns and schedules to help make their fat loss phases more manageable and reduce this likelihood of hunger. My first piece of advice is going to be creating regular eating patterns day to day so that you generally eat at similar times most days of the week. Due to our circadian rhythm which is basically the body's internal clock we release different hormones throughout our 24-hour cycle Throughout this 24-hour period, hormone levels are going up and down, and the more regular we can be with our daily patterns, such as sleeping and eating, the better aligned we're going to be with these hormones. But it's not just beneficial from that physiological perspective, but also from a habit creation perspective as well. So if we know that roughly we always eat breakfast at around 8am, a mid-morning snack at around 11, you know, etc, etc, throughout the day, if we've got this rough, rough schedule then it takes that decision fatigue out of the equation and we're not going to be overthinking things, trying to make changes day to day, thinking about, oh, when can I have my next meal? Because you know when you usually eat, you know when your next eating time is and then we don't have to think about it in between those times. So having that clear daily routine just allows the process to become a bit more autopilot, require less effort and thought. In regards to meal timing, we'll start with the more extreme example of something like intermittent fasting. And so this is most commonly done in the 16-8 style, which is where someone fasts for 16 hours. So fasting meaning not having anything with calories in it. And then they have an eight hour eating window. And that can sound quite extreme, but it's in the 24 hour period. And so for a lot of those 16 hours, someone's going to be asleep. So they might have their last meal at 7pm, for example, and then they wouldn't eat until 11am the next day. So it can sound a bit more extreme than it is. 
And for some people, having this smaller window in which they consume their meals can help them reduce their total daily intake. But rather than suggesting, you know, fasting really strictly like this and being very like, I'm not allowed to eat for these 16 hours and this is my only eight hours and I'm, I'm allowed, I may suggest to a client who, you know, maybe doesn't feel hungry in the morning and perhaps trains a bit later in the day, they could just hydrate first thing in the morning and push their first meal back until a bit later in the day. They can then have more calories around their training window and the part of the day where they tend to get hungrier. But some other people who enjoy eating a good chunk of their calories in the evening and don't like going to bed without feeling satiated. And for them, we might suggest maybe a slightly lower calorie first or second meal and save a few hundred calories for an evening snack, for example. So you can see how we can just manipulate things around to replicate what intermittent fasting might look like, but not in such a strict and rigid rigid way, which is quite unnecessary, really. But now for some other people, especially if you train in the morning, that's not going to be suitable and you may want a greater spread of your calories throughout the day or you may even want to bias your calories around the training window. We want to bias energy, we want to bias carbohydrates, so therefore that may work better for them. But the main takeaway from this point is to consider when you're hungriest in the day. Think about when you're busiest and perhaps not wanting to eat or not having time to eat. And really importantly, consider when you do your training sessions. And then those are the factors that can help you determine the best approach for your meal timings. So my fourth and final point is going to be about distractions. As we discussed right at the beginning, there's a lot of factors that can impact perceived hunger levels. And many people eat out of habit or emotion. And that emotion often is boredom. And I've had a lot of clients report that their hunger levels tend to be higher on the days that they're less busy or maybe they're working from home or they're doing the same thing in the same sitting in the same spot for an extended period. A good way to differentiate between actual physical hunger and am I just bored hungry? Is this boredom hunger? Is to take a moment to stop and ask yourself a few questions. Am I doing a difficult or challenging task that I'm subconsciously looking for a reason to delay or want to take a break from? Am I looking for something to do to keep me occupied or to take my mind off something else? And so ask yourself those things and sit with yourself for, you know, 10 minutes or so to kind of decipher if it's those feelings that you're having rather than actual hunger itself. Quite often as humans, you know, when we're doing something either difficult or monotonous or something we're putting off, we're looking for other things to distract us. So it might be picking up your phone, it might be going to get a snack and just kind of taking a moment to try and decipher between which one of is, is it one of those things or is it actually hunger? that can be really really beneficial. Now if you do need just a break from the work you're doing, try leaving your desk and going to stretch your legs or getting a hot drink or do some tidying. If it's boredom and you want to do something, if you're having a boring Sunday and you just want something to fill the time, what other ways can you spend your time? Sitting down and doing some reading, planning your week out, planning your doing your meal plan for the week or planning in your training sessions, FaceTiming a friend. If you've had that break or done something else and you've still got that feeling like you want to eat, that potential hunger there, you might conclude that, yep, it is physical hunger, in which case you can plan in a snack or meal. So to conclude that point, being busy and distracted 
really often reduces the likelihood of hunger between your normal meal times. And so just take a moment to stop and decide if what you are experiencing is physical hunger or more of a craving, distraction from a task or just general boredom. So there we have four tips for managing hunger during a fat loss phase. And as I said at the start, the nature of being in a calorie deficit when you're consistently burning more energy than you're consuming means that you may feel a little hungry from time to time. But having a look at food choices, meal timing and distractions and differentiating between emotional hunger and physical hunger, they're all a great way to make the process more enjoyable and therefore maintainable and therefore successful. If you've got any questions about those topics that I've covered today, you can just drop me an email or a DM on Instagram and I'm always more than happy to help. So obviously I've spoken about working with clients today. So if you are interested in working with me, I'll leave all the links in the description for you to browse the Grow With Jazz services and find out a bit more about what I offer. But for now, that's all from me today. If you did enjoy the episode, it's always really appreciated. Any shares on your Instagram story or leaving me a rating and review on your podcast app, that's always so lovely to hear. And it's always great to know that these episodes are helping and providing some kind of insight. Okay, thank you for listening and I'll speak to you all again next week.